hate you both. I've hated you ever since I can remember. I hate you, and I wish you both had cancer. Cancer? Yes, in the head. <gasps> I'm as bad as hell, and I'm not going to take this anymore! Pay no attention to that man behind the curtain! Are you telling me you built a time machine? Out of a DeLorean? This is the stupid answer. Uh-oh. Sounds like somebody's got a case of the Mondays. <laughs> Don't worry, I got an idea. And now, the host of the Stupid Cancer Show, Matthew Sack. Woohoo! Not that there's anything wrong with him. Because he has a lot of chutzpah. <laughs> All right. Hello, and welcome to episode 367 of the Stupid Cancer Show, the voice of young adult cancer. I'm your host. Matthew Zachary, a proud 19-year young adult brain cancer survivor coming to you from the chemo deck, our fabulous studio in downtown Manhattan. Broadcasting since 2007, The Stupid Cancer Show is a production of Stupid Cancer, the largest charity comprehensively addressing young adult cancer online at stupidcancer.org. I'm Kenny Kane, co-founder of Stupid Cancer, welcoming all of our first-time and returning listeners. Never miss an episode by subscribing to the podcast on iTunes and following us on SoundCloud. It is not okay that 72,000 young adults are diagnosed with cancer each and every year. So, got cancer under 40? Sucks, huh? Time to get busy living, folks, because the Stupid Cancer Show is changing the world one chemo infusion at a time. On this episode, we're featuring Jesse Case of Jesse vs. Cancer. Just Google that. Stand-up comedian Jesse Case was diagnosed with stage 4 colon cancer in June of 2015. He opted to share his experience with the world via a podcast called Jesse vs. Cancer. He joins us to discuss his now viral podcast, how his life is going, and what it's been like to be going into the spotlight of social media as a young adult celebrity. Survivor Spotlight on young adult Hodgkin's survivor, Jacqueline Piccolo. Going to be a really, really great show. All right. Kenny Kane. How are you? Just us tonight. Sort of. It is. Everybody's uh, remaining in California. They are. Although we are joined by Jeannie Mortimer, our fabulous intern for the semester. Hello. Hello. How are you? I'm good. How are you? Good. We'll get to you in just a minute because I want to hear all about what's been going on since you started working under this crazy circus tent. Kenny, we had a great weekend. We did. We had OMG West in Anaheim or Orange or Irvine. They seem to all blend together. Disneyland-ish near. Yes. Yes. Uh, It was 87 degrees when we left and arrived last night to a brisk 45 degrees with no coat. That was very exciting. (laughs) Exactly. Uh, But the event was great for the first time that we had a proper OMG conference on the West Coast. So much... um positive feedback thank you so much for finally having something on the west coast it was uh it was extraordinary it, it just really reaffirm, reaffirms that w- what we're doing is so necessary and the need is so large i wish we could do this 
every day all over the place. Yeah. Well, I think with, you know, we were in Vegas, it was four hours from L.A. Uh, having a conference that was a little closer, we still had the same kind of draw since we always saw a lot of traction from California. No, it was, it was really good. We had a caravan. We did. Uh, Jim Ford from Phoenix led a tribe of cancer survivor misfits, said with love, <laughs> from Phoenix. I think they hit San Diego, and then they hit L.A. Uh, funny to watch someone else go on a road trip. And yeah. I, <laughs> I think we, 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 when I talked to Jim, we kind of uh, shared in the misery and the amazingness of driving cross-country. Imitation is truly the sincerest form of flattery. It is. So, yeah, we had about 145, 150 people there, a full day of workshops. Really, again, very inspiring. And and they're all new. We had some regulars showing up as typical, but, you know, for inaugural conference, at least 130 of them were brand new to Stupid Cancer. Yep. Very exciting. Good stuff. We and then our, we are uh, celebrity bombed. Yes. We had our good friend Natalia Ricci show up. Yeah, she uh, blew the doors off the, oh, my God. She's here. We didn't tell anybody. It was a... Uh, now, it, was, it was cool because her and I walked down, and I don't think anybody really paid attention. And then when you announced her and said, and she's in the room or whatever you said, yeah. you know, everybody was just like, <gasps> they went nuts. Yeah. It was great. Yeah. And then I got to uh, square off against her at the after event at Lucky Strike, and I beat her uh, 102 to 93 in bowling. She was pretty good, though. I was impressed. We were both admittedly rusty, and she said, man, I really need my... Uh, my arm, my wristband thing that you know. I, I guess I use one too. We both kind of looked at each other like we are super nerdy. You are bowling nerds. Yeah, that's embarrassing. Yeah, but not as nerdy as Paul Berman. No, no, no. Who wasn't there? No. But uh, if he were, he would have beaten everybody. He, yes, he would have. Well, along with uh, Mike Saperstein. Yeah. And we also have some really amazing news coming up. I know we don't typically time the shows, but uh, as of today, Monday, this Wednesday, November twenty fifth, we are. Ringing the opening bell at NASDAQ, which is, I guess that kind of deserves this. It's a really, 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 really big deal for us. I knew you when. I knew you when, when you didn't have a crazy, you know, whatever you are, a, a hipster haircut. Yeah. When you had like, no, you, your freckles were just fresh. Yep. Agreed. Fresh out <laughs> Before of the cirrhosis oven. of the liver and all that stuff. All the above. Yes. But that's a big deal. It's really big. I have to thank my brother. Shout out to Ben Greenswag for opening that door for me at the NASDAQ for putting us at the, the top of the list of their charities. Really a big deal. But anyway, we have our intern, Jenny Mortimer, here. I wanted to put you on the spot because Kenny was my second intern from Farmingdale. I wound up hiring him. And look what he's gone on to ruin my life in the last couple of years <laughs> to do. You are following in those similar footsteps. You are a, um, a, uh, a student at uh, Hofstra. Farmingdale. 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 What did I just say? I don't know why I went to Hofstra, Farmingdale, yeah. and this is your internship. Yes. Tell us about why you chose Stupid Cancer and what your project is all about. Okay. Um, well, I chose Stupid Cancer because I kind of started late in the semester, and Kenny was like first on the list to call, and as soon as he said, you needed an intern, I was right in here. I won't read too far into that. <laughs> <laughs> started late, first on the list. Honestly, the first person to say The least yes. worst <laughs> decision I ever made. Yeah. No, it's worked out really well, though. Kenny has been a really good... Um, mentor to me because he graduated from the same program as me. He knows the same professors. And so he and I have been working on um, a page on Medium. Yep. Getting some blogs out there. Um, I've been reading a lot of submissions from 
people who are surviving from cancer or, you know, dealing with treatment right now. And so I've learned a lot through reading all of their stories and things like that. And, um, you know, I have an uncle who is uh, dealing with cancer right now. So it's it puts a bit more of a personal touch on it to read everybody's stories. So, Well, that's good. Yeah, it's fun. There's a lot of con- there's it. a lot of content out there that needs to be curated. Yes, and you're doing a good job. Thank you. Especially the blog. We have a, finally have a uh, our blogosphere. We do is have back. a true blog. Blog.stupidcancer.org. Yes, and our- props to Janine <laughs> for helping me. I yeah. would mm-hmm. not have been able to accelerate it at the rate in which yeah. it has grown even over the past six weeks. Yeah, just back in the day when we had like we had blog.stupidcancer, but it had lingered there, didn't do anything. <laughs> And now it's becoming everything we hoped it would be, which yes. is good stuff. Seven years later. Seven years later. That's all it took, seven years later. Yep. In my don't start a charity, but you're so successful. It's been 12 years. <laughs> my response to people. We, what do we always say? We're an overnight success that took 12 years. Yes, and our scandal is pending. Our scandal is pending, exactly. Well, with that, let's, uh, let's start our show. Jackie Piccolo in our Survivor Spotlight, a 10-year Hodgkin's lymphoma survivor who was misdiagnosed seven years after her initial diagnosis with breast cancer after an unnecessary double mastectomy. My goodness. Please welcome to the Stupid Cancer Show, Jackie Piccolo. Jackie. It's great to be No, we, I mean, it's... Well, I can't your story, my goodness. So I, I we got we, you can't like have an intro like that without saying unnecessary double mastectomy is your hashtag to begin with. And yes, I don't even know thirty seven years old. Yeah, how do you start with that? All right, so let let's start with uh with all of that. Let let's start with what was your life like when you were just a normal, regular person before all this nonsense happened? What were you what were you doing? Um, well, prior to Hodgkin's, I was the M&M eating, Diet Coke drinking, vegetarian that, that consisted of like pasta and cupcakes. But then I turned my life around after the chemo and radiation. I started actually eating kale and putting healthy things into my diet until I decided because I had two insurances at the time that I would just go for my um, mammogram early because they said 40. So 37, it was just this happened to be this one month where I had two insurances that overlapped each other. So I went and they decided they saw cancer on this um, mammogram. <laughs> so they had me in for a, a, um, a incisional biopsy and they called me a week later and told me that I had a very bad, they told me, cancer. And they were so surprised because they had thought it was fine at the time of the biopsy and that I was going to need to get some treatment fast because I had a, they believed it was a fast-growing cancer. So but, I got a double, uh, second opinion up at Dana-Farber who had been amazing treating me the first time around. And they agreed that this tumor was pretty bad and that I needed to do something. So I chose to do the double mastectomy so that I wouldn't have to have more radiation and treatment. And they told me afterwards at Hartford Hospital that um, that it was still bad. And although they, there was nothing in the breast when they went in, that they decided that because it was a nuclear grade three and it had a 30 on the onco score, that I had to start chemo. And that's when I started it didn't seem right. And my intuition, it didn't make sense. It never, the numbers didn't make sense with the fact that there was no cancer in the breast. And so I just started going everywhere and just getting 
so many opinions and they were all coming back. You have to do chemo, you have to do radiation, it's a fast growing cancer. But they were saying there's a 20% chance of recurrence um, and if it did recur, I would definitely die because it was that bad. But if I took tamoxifen, it would reduce to 12%. So I was like, that makes sense. I'm signing up for that. And But if I did the chemo, it would reduce to 8.5% because it was such a fast-growing cancer. But I decided that that 3.5% differential was not worth it. So I turned it down, <laughs> and everyone thought it was crazy. Right. Months later, um, a woman, an amazing doctor at Dana-Farber, um, Brigham Women's, where they were just re, they were just looking at the pathology. Noticed that the tumor that I supposedly had didn't have calcifications, and my breast tissue did. And when I met with her months later, she said she was one click away from dismissing it. And that's when they contacted Hartford Hospital, and they realized that Hartford Hospital had mixed up my slide. The person had not labeled it correctly, and the woman before me had that had the biopsy had the same initials as me and they mixed ours up. So here for six months, that woman had been dying of this horrible breast cancer and I had a cyst and they had mixed me up. So that is the gist of the story. That's like a mic drop right there. (laughs) That is the mic drop to end all mic drops that they switched your slides by accident. Yep. And I had a meeting with the hospital, and they claim that the requisition numbers are really long and that the woman hadn't read to the end of the numbers that matched. And then they were going to invent this thing because in my case where the slides would be colored from now on, so they would match the color to the number to the initials. So supposedly this is all going to change the way this is done. So at least my story will help. But I haven't, this is the first time I'm telling my story. So there's many people for the past few years that have thought I still had, or I had the breast cancer because I never sued the hospital because I had had cancer in 2004. And I think going through that, I know what actual cancer is like. And I think I was just so glad to have this chance. But I, so I wanted to be able to tell the story, but I haven't found the right time yet. And if I had sued them, I would have been mummed because once you sue a hospital, you usually have to sign a non-disclosure. And so I didn't want to have to sign that because I knew that eventually I would tell it. But I've been trying to contact stupid cancer and trying to figure out when the right time was. And I think now is the right time. So I have to start telling people to fight against, like if things don't make sense, to really trust your gut and trust your intuition because... You just might be right. I mean, we live in a culture where people sue McDonald's because coffee is hot. That is true. And people are probably going to, now that they know that, that the story's out, are going to think I'm crazy. And the people, my close family and loved ones definitely do. Um, You know, I I did settle with them and they are going to, you know, take care of. And it's sad because this is a lifelong thing that I'm going to go through because I had the, the reconstruction and then just, Two weeks ago, my implant ruptured, even though it's only been two years, and they said that it's only a 1% chance that it would rupture in two years. I had to have another surgery. And I just had a little girl. She's seven months old. So the poor thing, I can't lift her for six weeks. Wow. So sometimes it's hard because you think about all of this is just based on somebody being careless. Yeah, so there's a law 
that's part of the Affordable Care Act, which guarantees reconstruction for life for young women with breast cancer. So you're going to get these repairs, you know, covered by, you know, by, by, by the, by the government. But I can't help but think someone's going to step in and say, but you really didn't have breast cancer, did you? And then you're going right. to be stuck. And so the hospital will take that. They, they are going to do that. They're going to take care of the things related to my breast. But I still, you know, it's, you're still out of work during that time. And right. Still, there's just so much that goes into it. And it's just, it's sad. <laughs> but, but, but I did, I did get the sex. I did get, go through that whole time where I thought I was going to die and I was turning down the chemo because it didn't make sense. And then to just be, this is like a miraculous second chance, but it's, it's a crazy story. So whenever my friends are talking to me, I'm always like, you have to just ask lots of questions, get, get lots of opinions. Cause if I hadn't used three hospitals, this never would have come out. I mean, I, and not only for me, but the other woman that was able to get contacted six months later and say, you know, you need treatment because they mixed up your slide. So it affects a lot of people. Do you, are you in touch with this other woman? Do you know if she's taken any sort of actionable course against the hospital? You know, they made, the, Harper made a lot of mistakes in that they actually sent me her file, so I know what her name is. Wow. But I never contacted her, but because they knew, because out of respect, because I didn't know if she, how she would feel about that, but um, because they knew they messed up, and that they gave me her name. They did tell me that, you know, she hadn't had cancer before. So the chemo they would have used on her wouldn't have been as bad as the one I was supposed to have, the, the one I turned down. So I I was told that she did well, despite the six-month delay. So I was happy about that because she wouldn't, I might never have known if I hadn't, if Dana Farber hadn't caught Hartford Hospital's mistake. So. Wow. Wow. So, all right. So let's focus on the positive. Uh, happy, happy being a mom. I know. And that's another thing everyone told me I couldn't after the treatments I've been through. So it's exciting. It's crazy. She's a big surprise. Well, that would be, uh, I would, I would want to uh, ask you specifically the questions we usually do, which is, you know, when you had the Hodgkin's, the blood cancer, was it, were you made aware that these uh, chemotherapies or radiations could, you know, cause sterility. Yes, I um, I use a great hospital, Dana Farmer. They tell everyone, so they did tell me. But at the time, I had had Hodgkin's for three. They thought around three years or more because I was a kindergarten teacher and I was just exposed to a lot of germs. So every time I went in sick, they just figured, oh, you're in your twenties, you teach kindergarten, you're just sick, and it took. My dentist actually diagnosed the Hodgkin's because I had a root canal and my doctor said, oh, there's a better chance you have cancer. But, I mean, I have cancer than you have cancer and you don't see me worried. But my, my dentist saw the big lump on my throat when he was doing the root canal and he is the one that ended up ordering the ultrasound and that's how they caught it. So I do have crazy medical things happen to me. So were you uh, were you married at the time when you were diagnosed the first time? Well, the real the real time, <laughs> the real time. Yeah. How did your husband? A hard decision, but it, they said that if I didn't start treatment right then, that like because it was going to be like a month for all of the, or maybe more that I would have had to delay in order to save my eggs and everything. So I we decided to maybe we would adopt. I mean, I taught kindergarten, so I had tons of children in my life. 
So I just chose to start the treatment. But as it turned out, I have my daughter now. <laughs> so why why Colby? Where's where's that name come from in your family? I, it's so funny. I because that was I'm a teacher, and I I claimed these two names, Colby and Cassandra. When I first started teaching, and I made sure that I didn't get any of those in my any of those the children with those names in my class, and then when I was pregnant, I just could have sworn she was a boy, and I kept talking to her to hold on because it was a high risk pregnancy, obviously with everything I've been through, and I kept telling her that that I thought it was a boy and calling him slash her Colby. So when it was actually a girl, I just had to go with the name. <laughs> That's where it comes from. But I, you know, Colby Calais is a famous singer, so she won't be totally alone with that name. Well, that's really wonderful. I mean, again, it's a really happy ending. How are you? I mean, despite all the insanity surrounding it, we're looking at a happy ending here. So, how are you back to work? Are you taking time off to raise your your newborn? Uh, what's your What's your trajectory I, like these days? I am. I'm home with Colby for now, and I will go back. I do miss being in education. I was in education for 17 years, so I will. But I re- helped raise everybody else's kids for a long time, so I want some time with her. But afterwards, I'll. I, I'll just a little more time with her, and then I'll head back. Well, my my, I have twin five year olds, and they're both in kindergarten now. So I have the utmost respect for kindergarten teachers more than ever. That is the best age. I'm telling you, it's a really not fun to, age. Not to try to take away hope for the future, but that's my favorite age. I think the part that strikes me the most, again, we can take the misdiagnosis out of the conversation for a moment, is that you chose to avoid neuropathy at the risk of living a better life, regardless of the quantity of that life. And it was a hard choice. And my friends and family were not in agreement with that, but they just, the, the negative side effects that they listed that went with that chemo, despite every hospital I contacted for opinion, they all agreed it would be guaranteed neuropathy. So I just, I wouldn't have been able to teach. I do calligraphy on the side. I wouldn't have been able to do that. I just, I, and even with that chemo, there is just no guarantees. So it, those numbers just never made sense. Well, I, my gut just kept telling me not to. I, I bring that up for a reason is that my, my uh, diagnosis 20 years ago, I was a concert pianist and they wanted to give me chemotherapy, which would have given me neuropathy for life. And I declined it because I'd rather die playing piano. And they were like, you're crazy not to do this. And I said, well, I'd rather not die. I'd rather die playing piano than not be able to play piano and die with neuropathy. And they just didn't understand. The doctors were like, and oh, And that is yeah. what makes the stupid cancer community that you started the best thing ever. Because sometimes you feel like a crazy person making these decisions and you second guess yourself. But then you talk to other people like the two of us that made decisions based on the same things. And it just makes you feel better and supported and more sane. <laughs> so right. that, and I remember your story because I had met you before and I've been in awe and that, you know, factored in and it helps give you strength even when everyone is telling you, you know, you have to do this and your doctors are calling you, telling you to do it. You, it helps you stand strong in what you believe is right. Jackie, so do you... that's why I wanted to tell the story for the first time in this venue. No, and and, and I'm honored, and and this is going to be a really big deal. Do you uh, do you blog? Do you have any content? How do you, are you starting to share your story um, on any sort of uh, social media platform? 
I haven't. I wrote the story, so it's all written as like a, you know, a, a long essay, like a pseudo book mini. But I've never, I haven't shared it yet. I haven't found the right place, and so this is today is the first time. So now I have to decide what to do. But I definitely want to make sure that I open up about it and tell people because there are so many components to it more more than I can even share right now. So, yes, I'm definitely going to, to release it soon. Well, we're very, very proud of you. Again, like cor- miraculous, courageous decisions, regardless of circumstances, and a brand-new mom. We we like happy endings. We love these kinds of stories. So I can't thank you enough for your your literally your courage to come on the air and, and debut all of this with us right now. Thank you so much. All right. Uh, Jackie Piccolo, thank you so much. Take care. Good luck. Bye. All right, Kenny. And now, the news. Hello, I'm Kent Brockman, and this is Eye on Cancer. Just the facts, ma'am. Head on over to events.stupidcancer.org. There's events.stupidcancer.org. Sign up for meetup alerts and never miss an event again. If you'd like to learn more about hosting your own meetup, Visit stupidcancer.org forward slash meetup. All right, Matt, just one, and it's really hard to pronounce. Wawatosa. Do you know where that is? I'm going to guess Wawatosa is in like Idaho or something. It's in Wisconsin. I was close. Flyover America. We're gonna <laughs> Don't tell them that. No. Uh, That's a big deal. Yeah. All right. Wawatosa. Shout out to Wawatosa, Wisconsin. No one should face cancer alone because isolation sucks. Download Instapeer for iPhone, iPad, and Android today. Create your account and instantly start chatting with someone just like you who's been there and walked in your shoes. Join our community of thousands of patients, survivors, and caregivers now. Instapeer.org. We launched a new street aggregator on Tumblr for all the articles, blogs, and stories we couldn't possibly have the time to post on social media. Check out what we're reading 24-7 and don't miss a beat. Subscribe at stupidcancer.org forward slash feed cancer is expensive check out cancer made me broke.com that's cancer made me broke.com our national partnership with give forward the number one platform to start a medical fundraiser you did not ask to get sick and your community wants to help you again that's cancer made me broke.com learn more and start your personal fundraiser today support our programs and services by heading over to stupidcancerstore.org You'll feel great and look great in your new Stupid Cancer gear. That's stupidcancerstore.org. Be proud. Wear Stupid Cancer. And that is yours. Stupid Cancer News. In our main segment here, Jesse Case, stand-up comedian who was diagnosed with stage 4 colon cancer this June 2015. In response, he started a comedy podcast about it called Jesse versus Cancer, which is sort of taken over the internet by storm. Please welcome to the Stupid Cancer Show, Jesse Case. Jesse. From Nashville, Hello. Nashville, Tennessee, represent. Welcome, sir. Yeah. Hey, thank you. And I'd like to thank your studio audience there. It sounds packed. I hope they're all doing well. Oh, yeah. The, um, the, the, the uh, MP3 of people applauding love you. Oh, great, great, good. I like. Um, I only like a royalty-free stock audience. Oh, it's I great. I will not accept. I will not accept anything else. Oh, you'd be surprised um, what we can get away with as a nonprofit and uh, and a fair use. We may have actually ripped it off, so even better. 
Oh, do you know who you ripped it off from? Because they sound get them as a guest because they were getting some some hot applause. <laughs> Might have been like Conan uh, O'Brien <laughs> from the '90s. I don't know. We'll figure it out. Sure, sure. Um, well, thanks so much for having me, man. I, I really, really appreciate it. So you know how to do cancer right? Stage four colon. <clears throat> yeah, I don't mess around, man. I go for it. I, I get right in there. Um, you know, go big or go home. That's yeah, I, I I completely agree with you. Were you were you doing stand up your your career to date, and then were diagnosed, or this was just something that like kickstarted? You know, screw it, I'm going to go into comedy. No, no, I've been doing it for uh, ten years. I I, um, I went from, uh, but I I do appreciate you recognizing my anonymity uh, in the uh, stand up comedy world. <laughs> I have managed to um, I have managed to avoid name recognition avidly. I um, just despise it. Just despise it. Not a goal of mine. So I, <laughs> I, I, yeah, I was, uh, you know, touring and doing all that and, um, you know, doing some TV stuff and whatever. I was living out in L.A. And, um, but I'm from here in Nashville. And then I got really sick um, about a year and a half ago, I would say. And, you know, very anemic. And it was sort of like all the symptoms of depression without feeling depressed sleeping all day, you're very lethargic and not able to focus. Um, so my first thought, which I think is a pretty common thing, is I thought maybe I need a therapist or something rather than, you know, uh, um, a doctor. I mean, they're therapists or doctors, but, you know, ra- rather than a checkup. Um, and then it's the insurance deal in California um, with the rollouts and all that. It just took me forever to finally get lined up. Uh, so unfortunately, um, about a year and a half in of, canceling shows and canceling tours and all that. I finally, someone figured out, give this guy a colonoscopy. Um, and then they're like, Whoa, dude. <laughs> so, um, that was that. And then I was, I was on a plane back to Nashville, I'd say within two days, um, to, you know, move back in with my folks. Was this a real doctor? At, uh, Vanderbilt. Was this like town. a, or, I'm sorry. Was this like a real doctor that gave you the colonoscopy or like some guy at Starbucks? No, no, it was recreational. Yeah, okay. it was um, absolutely. It was behind a Den- yeah, it was behind a Denny's um, dumpster colonoscopy. Know, I had several before, but he was my guy. He was my go-to good uh, colonoscopy guy. That's what he calls it. Okay, um, that's what he calls it. Normally, they use a camera, but you know, I'm sort of doing a more holistic approach. I, I, I was um, going to say, you are really right. Go big or go home. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm glad. I'm glad the video made it online somewhere. Yeah. Um, yeah. So. So that was, um, that was very, very, I mean, you, well, you know how it is. What, you were uh, 21? Yeah, so was it, or? I was thrilled when they found a tumor in my brain because it really meant I wasn't crazy. There was a reason I was having all these problems. Did you feel a sense of, like, strange satisfaction that there was legitimately something wrong with you? Well, yes, yes and no. I wasn't, uh, at first I was, you know, super bummed out. Um, pun totally intended, but then I, um, when, when I found out that it was like, cause you know, when, when they tell you stage four, like I didn't have a prognosis yet. So before I met with oncologists, I was really, really freaked. And then, cause I thought, you know, I thought I might hear that I have, you know, a month left or something. And then when they said, no, we can, we can try to treat this and do this. Uh, then I was extremely relieved and not only at that, but also it validated the last two years of my life. Um, you know, cause I had been feeling so awful. Yeah. I thought I was going nuts. 
Yeah, this this concept of getting misdiagnosed for so long is quite the trend among not 80-year-olds. Oh, absolutely. And um, absolutely. And it's really, uh, it's really, I mean, as you know, as, as your listeners know, um, uh, you know, it's extremely isolating when it happens, especially, I mean, it, it jerks you, it sort of jerks you out of the matrix immediately. Yeah. Um, you know, you can't like, uh, like immediately every conversation around you that people are having doesn't matter. And it sounds fickle and you're just in this new world. Uh, and it's also very difficult once you're over the pediatric age, because there's not even peers down at the clinic. Like I, I go down there and it's like Titanic survivors, <laughs> you know, uh, playing canasta. And I literally dude, when I'm doing my infusions, uh, they have me in this room where my first infusion I did, um, which I got like my, you know, my chemo port put in and all that. And then I within like two weeks, I was getting infused and, um, I, it's literally across the street from the children's hospital and I could see them and everything they're doing, I'm still into. Like they're playing Xbox, you know, shooting hoops. Right. <laughs> yeah. I'm just sitting over there, like watching Matlock with these people. Yeah. And, um, and I was like, well, this sucks. So, yeah. So I, um, and I thought, you know, I assume probably similar to how you started recording um, your thing. I thought, I thought there's no way I'm actually alone in this. I just feel alone. Um, there has, this has to be the case for anyone this age going through this. Um, so I started rambling into a mic, you know? Yeah. The day that I started this charity a couple in 2007, uh, a friend of mine who ran another nonprofit that had a terrestrial AM show about cancer was largely medical came to me and said, Matt, we're going to stick a mic in front of your mouth. And that was the worst decision ever. And nine years later and 367 shows later, yeah, people are listening to me talk into a mic and rant every Monday. <laughs> and you're right. Well, that's, it, that's, you that's need great. the platform. The platform works. Yeah, absolutely. And it's, um, you know, I'm sure you realized, like most things, like getting cancer, like all of it, and especially then starting a starting a show about it. Um, that you you bite off more than you can chew, like <clears throat> you know. I certainly feel that way a lot, because um, you know it gets very real. Like I I hear from people all the time, as I know you do. And um, one thing that's very strange about cancer that I know, uh, you know, we all know, is not only the immediate perspective shift, but even the immediate perspective shift within having cancer. Um, Because normally, you know, if I'm out and about, if I'm at a bar or something like that, normally it's fair to say I'm the guy there that has it the worst. I'm the cancer guy, right? right? But but then within the sick community, there are people that are completely terminal. There are people, you know, there are people that are still plugging along. So you start getting those even micro perspectives. Um, And then, uh, you know, my last infusion, we're all sitting there and some of these people are so ill, you know. And then we're all watching the news, and then the Paris thing happens. Right. And then we all feel like jerks, you know? <laughs> Perspective. Like, you know, then, then we're like, oh, wow, okay, you know, that's, that's real. So it's, uh, it's pretty interesting, you know? It's been really eye-opening. I think it's, uh, you know, I think it's cool, man. I'm really glad you're doing what you're doing. Well, what I like about your shows is they're, they're a combination of structure and rambling, and you, you sort of... I, I like a, a sailboat on the ocean, Hemingway style, like just going from topic to topic. And it's really interesting. Oh, well, thank you, man. Um, 
I really appreciate it. I, yeah, I'm definitely a, um, there's probably a little more structure to it than people realize, you know? Um, I mean, it's, the, it's, the it's showbiz magic. No, it is. It is. Uh, I'm, I'm, I think <laughs> I meant that with love because. No, no, I know. Yeah. I know that. Um, no, I, I absolutely. I want, I no. I mean, I, that's a great compliment to me because it means that the, uh, you know, I, I pride myself on seeming very uh, stream of consciousness. It's like, you know, my stand-up is the same thing where I'm just all over the place. But then it's like I still know what's going on in my head, I suppose. I just love I'm, that I mean, one of your shows was sponsored by happyballs.com, which is not what it sounds like, but it's just a really cool sponsor. Great sponsor. Yeah, uh, it's <laughs> in a ball company. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and then normally I just make up the sponsors. Um, you know, I have Dodge ads. Um, I have Tampax ads. <laughs> I think this, la- this last week I played a... Um, I played like a rare Beatles outtake that I supposedly found um, from one of their recording sessions. I don't know. It's all over the place. I mean, I, I, uh, the interesting thing about being in cancer treatment, I wanted to, I record at the same time every week because I wanted to document it live. So there's episodes where I'm really sick, you know? Right. And the, the interesting thing though, is you get stuck in these holding patterns where you're doing just like six months of infusions or something like that, or you're stuck between surgeries. And, um, my show format being just me talking uh, into the abyss, you know, you can't just focus on the cancer the whole time. No. Um, but then there's a million things to talk about. Like sometimes I just interview my dad about the sixties. Like, I don't, yeah, <laughs> I don't know. No, it's, it's all over the place. It's man. a, it's a great combination. It's, it's, I would, I would use a, a, an obnoxious French word, a melange, if you would, of, Ooh, uh, or, or as, uh, John Stewart would say, a, uh, what would he say? A, um, uh, I lost the word. Forget it. Uh, a sansu. No, no, a sansu. No, yes. You've already proven that you're smarter than me. I get it. <laughs> you know, I get it. It's fine. Um, but yeah, no, I try to bring quite a, um, you know, a je ne sais quoi, a menage à toi. Uh, so much French on the um, show tonight. Yeah, I think I'm using that correctly. Yeah, so it's sort of a, a menage à toi, um, which I think is uh, means. Um, it's the name of your uh, colonoscopy office. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. It's the name of the strip mall I go to uh, for my colonoscopy. <laughs> Fantastic. So, Jesse, let me ask yeah, you man. your your comedy style prior to, and are you still writing comedy now, and has it changed? Yes. Um, the answer to all of that is yes. Next question. Let's go. Let's do this. No, I um, <laughs> my comedy style has always been very personal. I find that the more personal you make things, um, the more people, the more I've found that, that they can relate to it. Um, the whole point of comedy, the whole point is to feel less alone and for them to feel less alone as an audience. So it's very similar to talking about cancer or anything like that. Um, because it's, you know, I'll, I'll talk about something embarrassing that happened to me and it sort of lets everyone else off the hook for something maybe embarrassing similarly that happened to them or something. And um, so I've always been a completely open book, as long as it doesn't throw someone under the bus. But if it's about me, I'll talk about anything. And um, so it's weird, you know, I've used this analogy before, but it's almost like, a, like an M. Night Shyamalan movie. Like when, I got, like when I got cancer, I was kind of, my response to it was kind of like, oh, this makes sense, I guess. Right. Like, I felt very fortunate that I had the ingredients of um, 
you know, I, I mean, as a comic, I've been spending 10 years just staring into the abyss every day and the human condition every day anyway. Right. So I was a lot less shocked than perhaps someone that, you know, a lot of people have a, a family and a full-time 40 hours a week gig and they have kids and they, you know, and then it's existentially, they have to cope with it a lot harder than I probably did. Um, so I felt pretty prepared for it. I mean, it certainly made, just comedically, it's made me a lot more fearless now. Like I'm still performing, you know, in between, I have infusions every two weeks and I get about, and you know, the effect of that is cumulative, of course. So I get three or four days every two weeks where I can go out and about. And um, that's why it took so long to get this thing scheduled. I was just, I was like, all right, I can do this. So, um, you know, I'm doing a show tonight. I mean, I, I go out and, and just hammer away at it. But I don't talk about the cancer much on stage. Uh, I do at the end of a set. Um, but I don't like to open with it just because I, I want to know the laughs are real. I don't want any pity laughter, if that makes sense. I just want to know that it's legitimate. Know the crowd is cool. Because it's a tone, it's a complete tone change. I mean, it really bums people out. Uh, I mean, everyone listening and yourself, you know this. It's like, you can really bring down a room uh, when they find out you have cancer. Yeah, <laughs> agreed. Um, yeah, and that's something that's really weird to to deal with. I mean, obviously one of the hardest things to deal with about all of it is, uh, the reactions of people around you. Um, you know, watching my folks go through this is terrible. Um, it's terrible. Well, it's, I was going to ask you like, about your caregivers, like your, your immediate family, you have siblings and you mentioned your parents, how are they holding up? Are they finding support? No, 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 it's awful. Um, <laughs> no, I'm i uh, I'm an only child. And so, you know, this was like, out of nowhere. And, um, also my mom is a doctor, so she really sort of knows how the sausage is made. You know, she's very blunt right. and uh, very scientific. So, you know, when they said it was metastasized and all that to my liver, um, the treatment's been going really well, but, but when, when this first, this news first hit, you know, there was no, um, it's like we all sort of skipped through the denial part of the grief cycle. Like we just like blew through it. <laughs> and right. it got pretty, uh, pretty intense, pretty quick. So watching them go through it, everyone's doing better now. You know, the initial trauma, the initial shock is over. And, and as you know, it just sort of becomes your new reality. It's a weird reality, um, but it just becomes your life. And the thing, things that you could never conceive before become very normal. Um, and the things you wind up joking about and the things that you wind up doing become very normal. And it's like, <laughs> I, I think any cancer patient would say that had you told them a year before diagnosis what they'd be putting up with day to day or going through, uh, they'd say, well, I'm going to jump off a bridge. But it's amazing. It's really it's fascinating to me what the human brain can do when it's not given a choice. Like you just sort of keep living. And right. That's just, what it is. You just do it. You know, you just do it. So let me ask you, <laughs> you are being treated in adult. You're, you're oh, no, being, what were you going to ask? You're Sorry. being treated in adult oncology at um, are you at uh, which hospital are you at in in, in uh, I'm at uh, Vanderbilt. I'm at, at the Ingram Cancer right. Center. So, yeah. so VICC is a good hospital for children and teens, but you're being treated on the other side of the tracks. Has there been yeah, the other side of the street? Yeah. Has there been any sense that they know you're not 80? Were you like told to bank your sperm or introduced to young adult organizations or met anyone relatively close to your age down there? Uh, no, no, it's, 
I hate to say that. I mean, there were some pamphlets available. Um, and I, I certainly, however anyone wants to cope is how they cope, but I'm not a very, um, and I'm, and I'm totally cool with all of it. Um, I'm not a very, uh, religious fella. And also the, the, um, hope talk, all the hope talk is a little strange to me. And I thought it's weird that you would find that at the clinic. I mean, as you know, one of the weirdest things when you have cancer, one of the weirdest things you can hear when you tell someone is that when they say like, Yo, oh, I know you'll be okay. It's like, okay, well then we can't talk about this because they're basically saying shut up. Right. They're, they're, they're basically telling you uh, any existential crises you're about to bring up, I'm just going to blindly say you'll be okay. And my whole thing was I really want to be okay with perhaps not being okay. Um, because the outcome for the outcome for everyone in life, no matter what they're dealing with, is the same. And it occurred to me pretty quickly, just from like a logical standpoint, I'm like, oh, okay, it, there's a very good chance I can survive this. But then I, I don't want to have never thought about this and then have to negotiate death again. It's like I feel like if you survive cancer, you should get at least a 200 year lifespan, like as like a like a video game bonus. Right. You know what I mean? It's like, oh, now I have to die, I have to die anyway someday. Well, that sucks. So, <laughs> so, um, so a lot of that stuff, uh, you know, I'm in the, I'm in the deep south, man. So a lot of it is very, very kumbaya. And right, um, it's not Los Angeles or New York City by any means. Right, it's very kumbaya, and that's not my thing. Um, so yeah, they're not. Yeah, they're treating me the same as an 80 year old. Now, bear in mind that that's more the infusion nurses and things like that. My, my oncologist, who's literally like a Nobel prize winner. She's brilliant. Um, she's 40 and totally gets it. I mean, we have all the same taste in music and we, uh, most of my visits with her after we look at the blood work and all of that, um, you know, we're just talking about records we like and stuff. And right. That's, that's great. That's a little like respite in my treatment days. So Good. Get through. Good. It's yeah. something. So that's been really cool. So um, prior from that, yeah, they, they haven't talked to me about, I mean, I've been freezing my sperm again, recreationally for years. Um, you know, just as like a fun little, fun little surprise in the freezer, you know, when I have people over. That's a great um, habit. I'm going to get into that habit. Kenny's been doing that absolutely. too. I prefer freezing boogers. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I, I mean, well, the weird, the weird thing about the sperm bank is the night deposit. Um, because you know, you go down there and then it's just a, this like sort of hole in the wall situation, literally. And, um, it's a medical glory hole. I like that. <laughs> yeah. The night deposit. And it's, it's very hard to do a withdrawal. Yeah. I go down there. I don't know if it accrues interest. I don't know how, I, I don't know. It's a nightmare. Yep. Um, it's a rough life. Mold perhaps. Yeah. Oh God. Yes. You went yes. there. Um, but one thing is that, you know, I haven't yet received a terminal diagnosis. Um, so those talks haven't really happened. I mean, I, I've made a will and everything like that just for my big surgery, my first surgery I had, um, first of two, hopefully. So that was in September. Um, so a lot of like end of life talk hasn't really gone down yet. Although it's happened a lot, you know, outside of the clinic, just with my folks and whatnot. I mean, I have a, um, my podcast, uh, I have a contingency episode which I think is really funny. Uh, like if something happens, it's like, you know, my, I have a friend who has my passwords and all that, and they're going to upload it. And then it's like, 
my Twitter account's going to keep going from the point of view of a ghost for like two years. <laughs> like, I, like I have all this weird stuff set up. No, I love this. You know, I, I mean, I, I, it's macabre and I love it. But what, how you've chosen to do this is just so emblematic of like the Gen X millennial cancer thing that stupid cancer really embodies. And I no, mean, man, you guys are great. I was so pumped. The breast cancer org folks uh, got us in touch, you know, and uh, they're great over there. And um, no, man, I was like, oh, this is everything I've been looking for. This is awesome. I'm, I, I hope you guys had a great time in the West Coast recently, right? There was a yeah, conference out there. Our conference in uh, the OC, we had about 150, 160 brand new um, you know, between, I think we had some teens, 20s and 30s there. It was a really big deal, and we're trying to work on something. Brian, people are still getting cancer. I wasn't the last one and who got cancer. I, I, I know you want to be a trendsetter with your whole stage four nonsense, but really, come on. This is still happening to people. That's absurd. That's the message, yeah. too. Like, everyone thinks cancer is... Well, I mean, statistically, I can understand. Like, 94% of cancer is 80-year-olds. And 6% right. is, is people like us. So we're we really not in the mind's eye, but we're, we matter so much. Let me ask you, we got about five minutes left. What has been... Cool. Obviously, besides discovering us discovering you and, and giving you, you know, this love affair now, what has been the response from the Internet's uh, to your broadcasting, have you scared people? Have you attracted new listeners? Have you alienated old friends? W- what's that been like for you? Um, all of those things have happened. Yes, all it, it's been the weirdest combo. Um, I think it's been great. I mean, I started putting this thing out there, and the comedy community, you know, really hopped on board. And hey, check this out. Um, but as as you know, uh, when you're going through treatment, all of the well wishes, all that stuff, it, it's like as if you had the flu. It lasts like a week, and then you're just stuck with this thing. You know, you're like navigating this. I mean, the the amount of support is not. It's it's fluid. It's not. It's not going to be the same all the time. And the but the listenership, um, it's interesting. I mean, look, I, I'm. Keep it very clean here, but I'm a, I'm a, well, aside from my night deposit talk, uh, but I'm a, I'm a fairly dirty comic. Um, the show is definitely not safe for work. It has an explicit rating on iTunes, all that. And sometimes really sweet old ladies that are baking cookies will tune in and then flip out, you know? Right. <laughs> and, um, but on the other hand, there are a lot of people, perfectly healthy people that really respond to it. For some reason, it's really big in Australia. Um, so I'm putting together like an Australian tour. Um, I guess they're they're a macabre bunch down there. I don't know. Um, well, they're they upside down. Really well, to it, their their toilet I'm flushes sorry? the opposite way. They're upside down. That's why they're angry. Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, they get cyclones. Uh, and and um, I don't know. I can't wait. I mean, I uh, the 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 fan base has been incredible, and um, you know the communication the communication's been awesome. Um, it certainly alienated some people. I mean, you, you kind of find out who you're just on a personal level. You find out who your friends are pretty quick. Oh, for sure. Um, and, and sometimes, and I do give everyone a pass. I mean, sometimes people don't know what to say. And that, that's one of the ironies. Um, I'm, I don't really like believe in karma and whatnot, but I've known people with cancer before and realized, man, I, I really should have been around more. Um, and that's, 
you know, one of the things you start thinking about regrets a lot, of course, uh, when you get diagnosed, like, sure. Oh no, you mm-hmm. know, I gotta <laughs> figure that out. Um, so I get it. I mean, a lot of people just don't know what to say and, you know, think that if they call you, they're going to be really bummed out. So they put it off and keep putting it off and it never happens, you know, and, and I get it. I get all that. Um, but yeah, I mean, the internet's been great, man. Um, AV club's been great. Like everybody's been on board. Um, and if they're not, that's okay too. You know, well, I mean, I'm not really doing it for them. No, you're doing it for you, um, but at the same time, it's like that reverse schadenfreude where you feel bad for other people and yourself, but you're helping yourself and help other people at the same time. Oh, when I say for them, I mean the critics or whatever. Oh, screw if, them. If people aren't into it, well, well, that's what I mean. Like, I'm not invading anyone's living room and making them listen to it. It's completely voluntary. So, yeah, it's, it's free, you know, and all that. So whatever. So the people that listen to it, it filters itself out pretty well. Um, you know, people that stick around and they're great. They're like, it's, it's, uh, it's really opened my eyes to a lot of stuff because a lot of people with different, uh, religious views or different political views, but we all sort of share this weird bond. Um, you know, and this is a weird thought I've had that, that I think is probably fairly common maybe. Um, but if I survive this, this is the worst thing that's ever happened to me, obviously. Well, the second worst. The Terminator reboot was the worst <laughs> thing that's ever happened to me. The, the stage four cancer is the second worst thing. But um, ironically, I think most people would, would agree that have been in, been in these shoes that um, if I survive this, it'll be the best thing that's ever happened to me. Because I don't, I, I, you know, just everything the way you live your life when you have cancer, I think is how you were supposed to be living it anyway. That's the cool thing about it. I mean, the nausea sucks, but being charitable, telling people you love them, hanging out with your family, like that's just stuff we should all be doing instead of tooling around on Facebook all day anyway. So I'm really grateful for that. I'm, I'm, I'm oddly grateful for the experience. Uh, surviving it would be awesome. Yes. But I'm oddly grateful for it. You know? Well, I've been I've been told this is something we say a lot that cancer is the great equalizer and it is the democratization of reality for many many I people. I thought it was guns. Isn't that the like, guns are the great equalizer? Wait, it's cancer. Well, I mean, guns are sort of it's a maybe it's a defensive democratization. This is Matthew, more of a... cancer doesn't kill people. People kill people. Okay? <laughs> <laughs> Can I quote you on that? I like that. That's going to be our hashtag. Cancer yeah. doesn't kill people. People kill people. That's a long hashtag, but I'm going to go right. for it. That's right. Well, guess <laughs> what, my friend? You have millions of friends now. Uh, you are part of a massive social movement of millions. Oh, and uh, we're so proud to have you as the member of the club you never wanted to belong to. But now you're here, and it's just like the Olive Garden where you're family. Oh, man. I'm happy to be here. I'm happy to be here. I'm going to mail you guys some breadsticks. Um yeah, and let's, you know, I'm, I'm going to be in New York doing shows and stuff between chemo and uh, here's one thing I do. I know we have to go, but um, one thing I'm doing just with my stand-up is um, I've started talking about lining up tours and whatnot because even if the treatment doesn't work, I'm going to have some time, you know, to do some stuff. And uh, one thing I'm going to do is free afternoon shows for people that are in treatment just for immune system reasons. If you need to wear your SARS mask, you can do it. The, the club will be clean instead of like a, just had a crowd in it. 
So uh, when I'm in New York, man, absolutely come hang out. Like, we'll have a good time. Yeah, let us know, and we'll plan a trip to Nashville while you're here. <laughs> well Beautiful. said, Kenny. Well said. That now you know why he belongs here. Yeah. <laughs> well, I can't thank. I cannot thank you guys enough, man. All right. Uh, what you guys are doing is amazing. All right, so, Jesse uh, Case. Welcome to my weird yes. group too. You know, you know stand-up comedian diagnosed with stage four, living with stage four colon cancer. His podcast is Jesse versus Cancer online at Jesse J E S S E V S Jesse versus Cancer dot com. Jesse, thank you so much. Seriously, we're going to do some great stuff together. We are, man. I look forward to it. Um, All right. We'll go get some colonoscopies. It'll be fun. Yes. Thanks so much, man. All right. Bye-bye. Bye. Janine, I couldn't help but notice you were, like, literally snarfing with laughter the entire interview. Yeah, he's a funny guy. He's funny. Yeah. I like that. <laughs> I like that. Cancer doesn't kill people. People, people kill people. <laughs> That's going to go over very well. <laughs> Very well. All right. With that said, it is now time for our fabulous closing sequence. Prepare to activate. Uh, I hear there's rumors on the uh, internets. Have you ever seen a grown man naked? And so, to all of you, a fond farewell. Hooray, I'm helping. You are a meathead. Oh, Magoo, you've done it again. That was so terrible, I think you gave me cancer. Okay, folks, that's our show. And what a show it was, Matthew. Number 367 of the Stupid Cancer Show. Never miss an episode by subscribing to the podcast on iTunes and follow us on SoundCloud. I'd like to thank our guests, Jackie Piccolo and Jesse Case from Jesse vs. Cancer Podcast. Broadcasting since 2007, the Stupid Cancer Show is a production of Stupid Cancer, the largest charity comprehensively addressing young adult cancer online at stupidcancer.org. Coming to you from the chemo deck, and on behalf of my whole team here at the Stupid Cancer Show, we hope you had as much fun as I did. Poking a stick at Stupid Cancer. Thanks for listening. We'll see you back on the next exciting podcast of the Stupid Cancer Show. Goodbye, folks.